Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. We touched briefly at the end of our last episode, Ron, about ETFs, and we want to flesh that out a little bit. First of all, let's tell everybody what ETF stands for. Well, an ETF is an exchange-traded fund, and it's a basket of securities that trades on the stock market. So if you want to buy it, you go on the stock market, you look at the price, and if you're willing to take that, you can take ownership just like a stock. All right, so what differentiates an ETF from a mutual fund then? An ETF, because it trades on the stock market, where a mutual fund typically is, you look at, at the end of the day, you can redeem it at whatever the price was at the end of that day is what you'll get. So you go directly to the company to buy and sell it, whereas with an ETF, you buy and sell it on the market. All right, so now let's talk about the positives and negatives of owning an ETF. And I think I think you touched briefly on, on a big clue there in the first one, and, and it's the fees. It's a big part of it, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the fees now have gotten ridiculously cheap. I think Vanguard and some of the other big guys on their major exchange-traded funds, like some of the indexes like the S&P 500, are charging eight one hundredths of a percent per year to put money in these things. And as if you watch the business channel, you'll know that you'll see the ad saying that if you buy funds, and obviously it can be the same with uh, stock trading unless unless you're you're able to get your fees down, that you can end up over a lifetime losing thirty to forty percent of your performance just in the drag that the fees that are charged have the detriment against the performance in your portfolio. So fees can really, really hurt you over a long period of time. And obviously these baskets, because they typically are passive, they have a list of criteria that they use to determine how they're going to invest. So like if you invest in the S&P 500, for example, Gord, the S&P 500 has some standards that they have for stocks for admission, and if those companies no longer meet those standards, they're taken out. You know, recently we saw General Electric, which is like you were saying. Well, it's been forever. I mean, I, I, I used to own GE stock years ago, and I'm thinking, like, it was it, it was a big company for, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years probably, right? Exactly. So for almost a century, these guys were essentially the industrial benchmark of the index. Well, they were in the Dow Jones Industrial Average for a long, long period of time, and they were taken out because, frankly, they've got some problems and they no longer met the criteria. So they don't have an active manager picking things to buy and sell. They have a basket of companies that they include in their index, and as long as companies meet that criteria, they stay there. If the companies end up not meeting that criteria, they end up going, which means that the turn turnover in the portfolio is generally very, very low. And so do they buy individual sectors too, Ron? Like I know that there are gold exchange traded funds and there are probably pharmaceutical exchange traded funds. Do you have to, to lock into a specific sector or is there much more diversification than that? Well, you can buy indices. So you can buy, for example, a short-term two-year or less bond indices in Canada. 
So it's virtually most of the bonds that are trading two years or less that are included in that index. The ETF would buy all of those individual securities. You can buy a stock index like the Dow Jones Industrial Average. You can buy a sector like, for example, if you wanted to own gold stocks in Canada. Well, there's an ETF that matches or buys what's in the index of the Canadian Gold Miners uh, Index here in Canada. You can buy ETFs that are based on a style. So, for example, if you wanted a global portfolio of companies that increase their dividends every year and have good balance sheets, well, there's ETFs, frankly, that use that as a criteria. They build an index of companies that meet that criteria, and then the ETFs buy the securities in that index to match them. Boy, very interesting, very complex procedure here. And, and, and the other thing it does, I suppose, is it takes away that individual risk of trying to find that one stock that you think is going to be the home run. It gives you a little more uh, breathing room. Absolutely. And, and this is where I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about strategy because, for example, the pharmaceutical sector, which you and I were talking about uh, before we got on the air today, you can have a company that the hopes are really built into the price that they're coming out with a blockbuster drug. And then the FDA comes out and announces that there are horrible side effects, you know, that the drug produces three heads or your feet fall off or something. <laughs> or death, or as death. they often say in some of those ads that we see. Yeah. Yeah. So that once, all of a sudden, that stock, which is flying in the stratosphere, just absolutely tanks. And I had that happen to me a number of years ago when I owned Merck. And they had some drugs that were specifically prescribed for arthritis, but they found that those drugs um, helped a cause an increased incidence of stroke and heart attack. And of course, when that news came out, the stock absolutely tanked. And then of course, it's such a litigious society down there that the lawsuits within days, there was clash action suits against them for billions of dollars. And so in a sector like the drug sector, rather than owning an individual name, when you really don't know whether the FDA is going to be able to mm -hmm. find give that drug a clear bill of health or not. Or throw a wrench into or it. Or throw a wrench into it. You're better off buying the sector because, you know, prescription growth globally is about 7 or 8% a year. And so if you buy a basket of companies, you're buying into that trend and you're not trying to pick an individual winner and loser. So sometimes you're better off buying a basket of stocks. Junior Oil is another good example where you're doing a lot of drilling and sometimes you don't come out with what you expect to find in a formation. The stock tanks, whereas if you buy a basket of juniors and the price is rising, I mean, you can get some phenomenal gains doing that, but you don't take the individual stock risk. So do you, I guess the best advice pertaining to ETFs would be to find, again, as we've alluded to in previous episodes, Ron, finding a, a sector that you're comfortable in, that you think you have a little bit of basic knowledge, and, and that's a good point to start from? That's an absolutely great point to start from. Or, for example, you think that one country is going to outperform another. A good example is the country that has been making news nightly right now is the UK. And we're going to talk about countries splitting off or splitting and what that means to the stock price. And you'll find that usually the companies do a, countries do a lot better 
than the market and the media gives them credit for. But, for example, you're watching Britain. Well, it's getting a lot of negative news flow. Stocks are down. The currency is tanking. Well, instead of making a bet on an individual company in Britain, in Britain like uh um, British Gas or or British Tell or, or Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce <laughs> or a big name over there. What you can do is buy the index, buy the basket, and often, as I said, the media projection of what's going to happen is often a lot worse than than it actually is. And these things are really bounced. So often, an ETF is a great way to make a contrarian bet on a sector you think is going to do better than the market anticipates. And the other thing I guess it gives you is diversity of areas that you can invest in. You've alluded to different countries. I mean, there are some parts of, for instance, the Asian market like Vietnam and Cambodia. and, and the, the, Things are happening there. It could be perceived by some people as a very, maybe a risky part of the world to invest in, but you could spread your risk in, in in one particular country with the access to another country that may be performing well, and, and you sort of minimize the chance you're going to take a big hit on the chin here. Absolutely. And so you're not only getting involved in niche markets or niche markets, but typically if you try to buy an individual stock listed on the Vietnam Stock Exchange, and frankly, I don't even know what the name of that exchange is. Or let's say you go into Abu Dhabi or, or, or some real niche marketplace. Well, it's very hard for you to buy an individual stock because you have to find a trader or trades over there. It's usually very expensive. Currency you know, dif yeah, differentials. Also, you've got currency problems. And also, if you're trading in Vietnam, there's probably seven-hour time differential, and when that market is open, hopefully you're sleeping. Yeah, so that's another area to be concerned about. Okay, so these are some of the positives of ETFs: the the, the flexibility that gives you the exposure to uh, things that maybe are negative can be overweighed by some of the positives in the fund. There have to be some negatives attached to this too, and that's one thing we want to touch on as well. So where do we start with negatives of ETFs? Well, typically, you have to look at the particular ETF. For example, many of them, you think you're getting diversification. Like if you buy the TSX uh, Composite Index, which is made up of roughly 260 stocks, but 35 to 40% of the index is made up of financial stocks, and another almost 35% of that index is made up of resource and energy stocks. So, so you're at 70 to 75 percent right there. Exactly. And you, in the past, because our market is so small, uh, some of the listeners are a little older. Remember the Nortel days? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're a huge company. And Nortel at one point represented 40 percent of the value of the entire index. So if you were buying the S the TSX Composite Index, 40% of what you were owning was, frankly, just Nortel. And we all know what happened there. So that's one negative. Let's talk about something else. There are sectors like the bonds and, and preferreds and things of that nature that emerging markets where you have to be a little bit more cautious? Absolutely. So, for example, if I go into an emerging market and, you know, let's take Vietnam. There's companies there that I expect are going to do very well, but especially in these emerging markets, there's a lot of companies that aren't. They're going to fail. They're yeah. going to fail. Take Brazil, for example, yeah. which is a, a recent example, or, or going into Venezuela. 
there's many, many companies that are failing. So if you buy a basket, you're buying them all. Whereas in markets like this that aren't very liquid, you're far better off taking an individual stock selection type of approach where you're looking at individual securities so you can pick out the best ones and leave the worst. And that would work for emerging markets in areas like fixed income or bonds. There's a lot of bond managers that are consistently over the years uh, have outperformed uh, the indices or indices and in preferred shares which is a very very narrow market in Canada a lot of the mutual funds have outperformed uh, the benchmark or the index and so in many ways in those kind of markets where there's not a lot of liquidity I prefer owning a mutual fund to an ETF. All right and the final one is there are thousands of these to to choose from as we've talked about and and they cover virtually every spectrum of investing so is the key here once again do your homework do a little bit of study are there for instance newsletters that specialize in ETFs yeah there's newsletters that specialize in in ETFs and frankly the best place to get information on ETFs is called Google Google? Okay. Google. Just go and type in the best ETFs, the 10 best ETFs, or the best ETFs in Canada, or the best ETFs for pharmaceutical industry uh, exposure, and it gives you a lot of research. And you don't usually have to go too much further because so many um, big investment firms now are have strong commitments to the... Um, ETF universe that they put a lot of free research right out on the on the internet so you can find just about all the research you're looking for just by going online if we talk if we talk formulas here Ron is it, as an investment strategy if you're looking at your your investments hundred percent should there be a percentage that you want to be in ETFs like if you if you want to have some individual stocks you want to have some bonds you want to have some ETFs should you break it up that way or is this all your eggs in one basket strategy for some people that have a little bit more of a gambling instinct well i think you can gamble by for example going to emerging buying emerging market ETFs or buying mining ETFs buying junior oil ETFs, so you can be as aggressive or conservative as you want to be. One of the advantages of, of ETFs is that, for example, if you buy the S&P 500, well, you're getting 500 stocks, the, really the backbone of the U.S. economy is essentially distilled into these 500 names that are in there. And, and most of us would recognize almost all of them, right? Oh, absolutely. And many of them are international. Uh, typically, they give you a lot of diversification. And you'll find in the U.S. that the S&P 500 is considered the index that every fund manager tries to beat. And a couple percent of fund managers beat the S&P 500 every year. Most often they don't. So if you're looking for a way to invest to give yourself lots of diversification for low fees, something you don't have to pay a lot of attention to, and if you're a couch potato investor, which a lot of people are, and you just want to put money in, well, you can just buy units of these on a regular basis and let it grow. And if you diversified, for example, if you had an S&P 500 index, mm -hmm. maybe you had a, an index of global dividend growers, you had a couple bond and preferred share 
uh, ETFs. Uh, that would give you a nice portfolio, and we'll talk about how to do that on a future show. In fact, what we want to do is we're talking about stocks, bond, or stocks and bonds, picking them individually, ETFs and mutual funds. We're going to have a show on how to build a portfolio in each of these areas. So there you go. Some basics, some positives, some negatives about ETFs, exchange-traded funds. If you have more questions, well, you can send them to us through the website at cfcw.com. Just click on the link at Making Money and shoot us an email, and we'll try to address those questions as best we can. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. The show is called Making Money. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.